I just want to take a moment uh, to invite you personally to come and join me here at the church uh, tomorrow evening for Bible night. It starts at 7 p.m. and it goes till 8.30. And tomorrow we're going to be looking at an overview of the New Testament. We're going to look uh, just briefly at each of the 27 books of the New Testament and the chronological events that take place in the first 100 years of Christianity. And so whether you're very familiar with your Bible or just starting to understand what the Bible is all about, come and join us uh, tomorrow. It's going to be our final Bible night until the fall. Well, I want to begin today by telling you about when I was four years old. That was about 30 or so years ago, and I lived not far from here in Conrich. And uh, back then, it wasn't as developed as it is now, and I was allowed to be somewhat of a free-range child. Uh, Just behind our house was a big field that went off into farmer's fields, and I was just allowed to go out and explore the backyard. And like any four-year-old, I started out in the backyard, and then eventually I wandered into the front yard. Now, in front of our house was a road where the speed limit was 80, Uh, but cars that went along it usually were going more like 100 And there was one day where I was uh, playing in the front yard, and I ended up wandering onto the road, and then across the road into the ditch on the other side. And when my mom went to find me, that's where I was, playing in the ditch, completely unaware of the danger that was all around me. There was another time uh, where... Uh, where we lived in Conrich, next door uh, was a church building. And actually, the same building that this church used to meet in 30 years ago. And my dad had set up a ladder and climbed up onto the roof of the church, and he was repairing something up on the roof. And I went wandering along, exploring, and I found the ladder. And as a four-year-old, I climbed up the ladder onto the roof and then climbed up the steeply sloped roof to surprise my dad. And he was very surprised when he saw his four-year-old up on the roof with him. Now, I think about those stories now and just how if I had taken one misstep, you know, one tumble on the roof, I'm just flying off of that roof. It was so dangerous. And, you know, the Bible describes the human heart as being a lot like me as a four-year-old, kind of wandering around We like to be independent. We like to set our own way. And the Bible talks about this in Isaiah uh, chapter 53, verse 6. And I want to put the verse up on the screen here where it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We, like sheep have gone astray. We like to choose our own way, to go in our own direction. And that word astray indicates that there is a place where we started from or we're supposed to be and that we're not there anymore. And if you're here today and you have questions about Christianity or want to understand what it is that we believe, it starts with understanding that we have a creator That God loves us and he lovingly created us so that we can be in relationship with him. And that is our starting point. But we can look back through human history and we can look at the human heart and see how we choose to go our own way. We have gone astray of being in that relationship with him because we like to lead ourselves. 
You know, I don't know about you, but I don't like being told what to do. I would much rather if someone just presented me with all the information and the facts and then allowed me to make my own decision for myself. After all, who knows better how to lead me than me? I want to be in charge of myself. You know, and we can think about how so many people around the world don't know God as their creator, don't know that God loved them and made them to be in relationship with him. And so, of course, their default is going to be going their own way, doing what they feel is best for themselves. And then we also see that there are people who know that God made them and that God loves them and that want to be in relationship with God, and yet we struggle with and wrestle with trusting God and trusting that his way really is the best way. So we feel pulled in the direction of what we want to do, and we worry that if we really trust God that we're not going to end up in as great of a place as if we just led ourselves. And so we go astray. We go our own way. Well, there's a a German theologian, and his name is Jürgen Moltmann, and he has a quote that I want to share with you today. He says, the person who loses God makes a God out of himself. And in this way, a human being becomes a proud and unhappy mini-God. When we go our own way, when we lead ourselves, if we believe that this life we have is all that there is and there's nothing more, then boy, life sure goes by fast. And often we find ourselves feeling behind where we expected that we would be. You know, that image of how we saw our life going and where we are, we just feel like we would have been further along by now. You know, we wrestle with the feeling of missing out, that there's something missing, or that other people seem to have something that we don't have, or it's not working for us. And so we worry about the future. We worry about tomorrow. We feel the pressure of life and the stress of what we want to do, and are we actually going to be able to get to where we want to be? You know, so we put our time and our energy into chasing after those things that we desire most, those good things. You know, we think, man, if I could just get that degree, when I get my degree, then it's going to open up all these possibilities for me. Then I'm going to be able to be successful. You know, if I could just have that relationship and have that person who loves me and accepts me, then I'm going to be satisfied. You know, if we could just have that long-hoped-for child to be part of our family, then we'll be happy. If I could just have that dream job, you know, when I get that career that I've been working so hard for, then I'll have the admiration that I'm looking for and that recognition and knowing that I've made myself into something. Or, man, if I can just get to retirement, then the stress and the worry will be gone, and then I'll be happy. We can chase after these things, and even when we acquire these things, we seem to find it's not enough, that there's something missing. We can have all of these things and still find it's not enough. Well, the Bible points to an alternate way for us to live our lives. Other than just leading ourselves and going our own way, that we can go a different way that the Bible points us to. But it is countercultural. 
It goes against what our culture around us would say, this is the way to live and to be successful and to get the things that you want most. It's even counterintuitive where it goes against our own heart sometimes because it's our heart that says, no, we got to be in charge. We got to be the ones leading ourselves. But the Bible shows us uh, in a beautiful poem that was written by David, who's one of the kings of Israel. And David, when he was a young man, he was a shepherd. Because Isaiah points to us and says that we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned to our own way. And when we look at sheep, we can recognize that life for sheep is better with a shepherd. That when the sheep have a shepherd to look after them and take care of them and provide them with what they need, it is better for the sheep. Now, none of us really want to think of ourselves as being sheep or to choose to view uh, the way we're going to live our life as sheep. But David, from his experience as a shepherd, he considers himself as a sheep. And he writes about this relationship that he has with his creator, where he is willing to humble himself and be like a sheep because he knows his creator is his shepherd. And I want to take a look at it today. It's in Psalm 23. We're going to read all six verses of it, and we're going to look at it in the New Living Translation, and this is what it says. It's a psalm written by David, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I want you to pay attention to what David says that the shepherd does for the sheep, that all of the benefits that the shepherd provides for the sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Look at all that the shepherd provides for the sheep, as David describes this relationship that he has with his creator, that the shepherd provides rest and guidance and comfort and protection, that there is an abundance and that there is love that the shepherd gives to the sheep. And look at how David describes the great trust that he has in his creator as his shepherd. That even when he walks through the darkest valley, even through the most difficult times in life, when it's terrifying and it's uncertain, he's not afraid because he knows his creator is with him. David says that he trusts God that even in the presence of his enemies, when there are enemies all around, that he can stop and enjoy a great feast that the Lord has provided for him that he can enjoy that even when he's surrounded by his enemies. 
This is incredible trust. This relationship that David describes where he is like the sheep and his creator, God, is his shepherd. And for us today, how do we take these words from Psalm 23 and how do we experience this in our life? How do we apply this to our life so that we can say like David that we receive all these blessings, this rest and comfort and protection, all these things that deep down at the core of who we are are the things that we're longing most for, that we would receive them. How can we live this out in our life today? Well, the Bible would tell us that life for us, like a sheep, is better with a shepherd. That we need a shepherd or that there's an alternate way to going our own way and it is to accept a shepherd to lead us and guide us and provide for us. And Jesus talks about shepherds in John 10. And Jesus shows himself to be the only one who can lead us to the promises of Psalm 23. That he is the only one who we can look to as a shepherd and who can bring us to this place that we see in Psalm 23 where it is in our life that we are living this out and experiencing the blessing of this. And I want to take a look at it today. And if you have your Bible, would you join me at John chapter 10? We're going to look at how Jesus is the only one who can be our shepherd. John chapter 10, I have to turn there in my Bible, so you got a moment to get out your phone and join me at John 10 or open your Bible. John 10, New Testament books go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John chapter 9, uh, there's an incredible thing that happens where Jesus heals a man who is born blind. And there are these Pharisees that are around him. And Jesus is, begins to talk to them, and that's where we begin in John 10. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Jesus is describing how sheep would be kept in a sheepfold and how there would be walls around where the sheep are, but it would be open air. And of course, if anyone is trying to get to the sheep by climbing over the wall, well, then they're a thief or they're a robber. But the shepherd can go right up to the gate. The gatekeeper is going to open the door or the gate to give the shepherd access to the sheep. He continues in verse 3. And he says, the, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So Jesus is describing what the shepherd does. The shepherd calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, then he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So the shepherd comes and gathers his sheep, he calls them by name, he leads them out, and then he goes before them as he brings them out to the pasture. Well, today I want to share with you four reasons why Jesus is the only one who can be our shepherd. 
that Jesus is our shepherd. And that more than anyone else or any other system that we could look to prop up or to follow or to devote our life to, Jesus is the only one who can bring us to that beautiful promise that we can see in Psalm 23. I want to jump down in the same chapter just to verse 9, where Jesus, as he's talked about the sheep pen, where the sheep are, and the door, and then leading the sheep out. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, I am the door. And the reason that Jesus is the only one who can be our shepherd, it begins right here. The first point, number one, is Jesus is the door. And what Jesus is saying here is that the sheep are in the sheepfold. That's a place of waiting. That's where the sheep are. But where the sheep want to be is out in the pasture. And Jesus is saying, I am the door. I am the way to get from where you are to where you want to be. Because the sheep are waiting in the pen for the shepherd to come and take them out to the pasture. And the pasture is the place of blessing that we see in Psalm 23. That's where there's peaceful streams. That's where they're with the shepherd and they have comfort and protection. That's where the provision is, where the sheep have all that they need and they can rest and feast. That's where the sheep want to be. And Jesus is saying, there's only one way to get from where you are to where you want to be. And I am the door. I'm the way through. It's only through me. And this is a big statement that Jesus is making for us to understand that in our life, when we look at where we are and we look at, man, that's where I want to be, it's only through Jesus. So that's the first point. Jesus is the door. Verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us abundant life. That when we're sitting at home and feeling like life is going by so fast and feeling like we're missing out, there's something that we don't have and feeling like, man, I thought I would be so much further ahead and am I ever gonna get there? That life that we want, that life to the full, Jesus is saying, I have come to give you life, abundant life, overflowing life. That is his purpose. That is why he has come so that he can be our shepherd and lead us to that place of life and abundance. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And this is an incredible statement by Jesus. That he's talking to a group of Pharisees that are around him. And Pharisees are middle class religious people who love the Old Testament. And they're very familiar with it. And so they would be very familiar with Psalm 23, which we just read. And so when in Psalm 23, David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And all of these blessings that I have in my life, they all come from him. And here is Jesus saying to these Pharisees, I am 
the good shepherd. I am the one who gives all these blessings to the sheep. It's me. I am the good shepherd. And the second reason why Jesus is the only one who can be our shepherd is that he is the good shepherd and he will never fail us. When we look to anyone other than Jesus to lead us, to guide us, you know, the world isn't against shepherds. There's teachers and parents and people that we have to, to guide us. There are successful people who've built entire industries on turning around and saying, hey, let me teach you how to be successful like me for a nominal fee. The world likes to prop up people and that we can follow them and look to them. But whenever we put a person in the place of being our leader, our guide, that's going to take us to that place that we want to be, people will fail us. The closer that we get to people, the more human we see them to be. We see their flaws. We see that they're not as different from us as we want. There's a saying, never meet your heroes, because they'll only disappoint you. You know, those people that we look up to and think, man, if I could just be like them or if I could just get around them, when we actually get to meet them, it's disappointing. They're not as, they don't have it all together like we thought that they would. But Jesus is the only one that when we get closer and closer to him, we see how good he truly is. That he's good all the way through. He is our good shepherd. When we get closer to people, we only see their flaws. We see just how human they are. When uh, I was dating my wife, Crystal, uh, we would uh, go for a date. I'd come to pick her up at her house. I'd stop, and I would fill the car up with gas. I would get a car wash, and then I would uh, go over to where all the vacuums are, and then I would throw out all of the Tim's wrappers and the paper that goes around the straw and the extra napkins, and I, I would gather up all the junk and I'd throw it out. And then I would vacuum out the inside of my car until it looked amazing. And then I would pull up to her house to pick her up and take her out on a date. And I did this every time that I went to pick her up for a date. Well, then we got married. <laughs> and after about six months of being married, Crystal came to me and said, like, hey, like, what is going on with your car? Like, why is it so junky and there's all this stuff inside? That's not you. You always have your car spick and span, completely clean. And I told her, no, this is actually how my car always is, except for when I would go and pick you up for a date. The closer we get to people, we see their flaws. They let us down, but not Jesus. He'll never fail us. He is the good shepherd. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life 
down for the sheep. Jesus is unlike anyone else that we could have as our shepherd, as our leader, as our guide. Jesus knows us. So the first reason is that Jesus is the door. He says, I'm the door. I'm the only way from where you are to where you want to be. And Jesus, the second thing is that he says, I am the good shepherd. He'll never fail us. The more we know him, the more good we see he is. And the third thing is that Jesus knows us. He knows us. He says, as I know the Father and the Father knows me, so I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Our creator knows everything about us. He knows us. Earlier, Jesus said the shepherd calls his sheep by name. He knows us. You know, I have a friend, Kevin, and we've been friends since elementary school. And uh, he's my best friend. He was the best man at my wedding. He's the godfather to my children. Uh, He knows me very well, but he doesn't have to live with me. (laughs) My wife, Crystal, will have been married 10 years in September. She knows me in a way that Kevin doesn't. And that's a good thing. (laughs) She knows me. But God knows me in a way that Crystal never will. He knows everything about me. He sees all of the good and all of the bad. And so that desire that we have inside of ourselves to be known, for someone to truly know and understand us, Jesus is the only one who can fulfill that need. But inside of us is also this great fear that if someone really knew us, if someone really, truly knew everything about us, that they would reject us and walk away from us. Jesus is the only one who knows us completely and loves us. He loves us. We are fully known and fully loved. He knows us. Jesus continues in verse 16. And he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The fourth reason that Jesus is the only one who can be our shepherd is that Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. David, who wrote Psalm 23, which we read, one of the kings of Israel, when he was a shepherd, the Bible tells us that he fought off a lion and he fought a bear, that he was willing to risk his life to save the sheep. But David wouldn't just lay down his life for the sheep. I mean, if it's coming to your life or the sheep, you can always get more sheep. Jesus is the only one who lays down his life for the sheep. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I choose to lay it down 
Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what we just celebrated last week at Easter, that on the cross, Jesus Christ died for us. He laid down his life. And here he says he has the authority to lay it down, and he has the authority to take it up again. And we celebrate his resurrection and how he is alive, that Jesus would die for us. You know, our world and our culture loves sacrificial love. You know, it's part of all of our best stories that someone would be willing to lay down their life and die for someone that they love. Uh, Did you ever see the Guardians of the Galaxy? The first one where there's Groot, uh, and he's part of a ragtag group of superheroes that comes together in this found family, and he's this big sentient tree. And at the end of the movie... Groot is with his family, and in order to save this found family that he has of these other superheroes, he stretches out himself and encases his family, stretching out all his limbs to make this dome where he sacrifices his life and dies to save his family because he loves them. And at the very end of the movie, it shows that he's reborn as a little sprout. Did you see uh, Inside Out? The Pixar movie is animated. It came out a few years ago. Uh, Do you remember Bing Bong? Bing Bong, Bing Bong. Bing Bong is like a cotton candy, purple, pink elephant. And he is the imaginary friend of this little girl, Riley. And Joy, who's kind of the main character, and Bing Bong are trying to make their way to save Riley. But they're trapped at the bottom of this big cliff. And so they dig out this wagon that is powered by rainbows. And they try to ride it up and jump up to the top of the cliff. And they try again and again. And it's not working. And finally, Bing Bong realizes that it's just too heavy. And so Bing Bong, on the last time, he jumps off of the wagon. And it goes up and lands on the cliff. And Joy is able to continue on her journey to save Riley. Bing Bong sacrifices himself so that Riley, the little girl that he loves, can have joy. And Bing Bong disappears. He's forgotten forever. And it's a Pixar movie, so the music swells, and all of a sudden you're crying for a cotton candy elephant, and you don't know why. It's a beautiful moment of sacrifice for someone you love. But what is far more rare in our culture is to see someone lay down their life and choose to die to save someone who is their rival or their enemy. But one of my favorite movies, it's The Last of the Mohicans, and it came out in 1992. It's got Daniel Day-Lewis in it. And uh, there's three characters, and I just want to tell you the story of what happens at the end of the movie here. And there's three characters. you got Duncan Hayward, and he is a British major. He's in the army, and he loves Cora. He's loved her his whole life. He wants nothing more than to marry her. But Cora falls in love with Hawkeye. And so uh, Hawkeye and Duncan are rivals. They hate each other because they both love Cora. And at the end of the movie, Duncan and Cora are captured by the Huron tribe who takes them to their elder. And the elder is going to pass judgment on them and decide who lives and who dies. And Hawkeye comes under a banner of peace. He wraps his belt around his hand and he comes to plead for the life of Cora. 
And as he walks through the tribe, they push him and they cut him with a knife. And he comes up, and the, tr- the problem for Hawkeye is that he doesn't speak the same language as the elder. But Duncan speaks French, and the elder speaks French, and so Hawkeye has Duncan translate for him. And he makes this big speech. And at the end, the elder, he casts his verdict that Duncan Hayward is free to go. They don't want any trouble with the British. But Cora is sentenced to be burned to death for the crimes that her father committed. And Hawkeye came under a banner of peace, and so he can go in peace. And in that moment, Hawkeye cries out and says, my life for hers, I'm a great warrior, my death will mean more than hers, so take me. But he doesn't speak French, so he says, Duncan, translate. And in that moment, all that Duncan Hayward has to do is translate what Hawkeye has said. And Hawkeye will lay down his life and die for Korah. And then Duncan and Korah will be free to go and he can continue to pursue this woman that he loves. But in that moment, Duncan in French says, take my life. I'm a British officer. My death is more meaningful than hers. And in that moment, Duncan chooses to die, not just to save Korah, who he loves, but he dies to save Hawkeye, who he hates, who is his rival. But he steps in and chooses to die for him. Hawkeye and Korah, Hawkeye doesn't understand because he doesn't speak French, but all of a sudden he and Korah are just allowed to leave the village. And Duncan is taken to be burned at the stake alive. And at the the end, Hawkeye takes out his rifle and shoots Duncan to give him a merciful death. It's by his hand that ultimately Duncan dies. This is what Jesus has done for us. That he took our place He took the punishment that we deserved on himself. The Bible tells us that while we were dead in our sin, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't just die to save his family. Jesus didn't just die to save those who love him. But he died to save those who even hate him or have turned from him and will never even turn back to him. Jesus died to save them. In Isaiah 53 verse 6, which we read at the beginning, it says that we all like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned everyone to his own way. And like children, we've wandered away and we've tried to do things on our own to the best of our ability, trying to do what's best for us, but unaware of the danger and the consequence that comes from living in that way. And it says at the end, and the Lord has laid on him, that him is Jesus, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus said no one makes him die. He chooses to lay down his life. Jesus chooses to take on himself the sin of the world, the iniquity, the the punishment and consequence of how we have lived our lives. He does it for us so that he can save us. Jesus does it so that he can be our shepherd. John 10, verse 16, Jesus says that there are other sheep that he wants to gather to him. Let me read it for you. Verse 16 says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. We are those sheep. Jesus died so that he can be our shepherd. And the question for us today is, will you let Jesus shepherd you, or will you go your own way? For me, I love relating to Jesus as my shepherd, knowing that I have a shepherd, someone who is guiding me and leading me, someone who is protecting me and looking after me, that I can find comfort and rest in him. That I don't have to be afraid that wherever my life goes and wherever I end up, that I can trust that it's better than if I was to go my own way. That I can trust in the good times and in the hard times. That when my wife is sick or my son has a concussion or if I'm diagnosed with a heart condition, that in these times that I can trust that he is the one who protects me and protects my family, that I can find comfort in him, that I have peace for today and hope for tomorrow. When money is good and when money is tight, he's still my shepherd and I can trust him. Today, will you let Jesus shepherd you?